and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're going to get some harvest updates from around the country, and we'd love to get a report from you. How's harvest going? Or if you haven't started harvest, what's the crop look like? We're just curious. Um, personally, <laughs> I don't think the government reports are right or even close. And I just want to get a little confirmation from around the country and what you're seeing in your area. So if you want to give us a call here, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or you can send us a note on Twitter, Brian Hefty or AgPhD Media. All right, so today we'll talk a little about harvest and harvest updates, and I'm going to want to get to the AgPhD mailbag pretty quick here too because we've gotten a lot of questions in. But I would just say on our own farm, my estimate was a little bit higher as of about three weeks ago because a couple weeks ago we got a whole bunch of rain, and to the north of us they got even more. Um, So there were a lot of areas that were 20, 30, 40 miles north of us, and all that water flows this way. They got half of their normal annual rainfall in three days in September. So river flooded, and it reached a record level by us. And so we ended up with roughly, I'm going to say, 200, 250 acres of our 3,000 underwater. So that's no fun. Now, this did happen to us once back in 2010. In September of 2010, the record amount of rainfall in one day occurred about 40 miles north of us, all flowed down to us, flooded out a bunch of our ground that fall too, but it was about two weeks later. It was right around September 25th, and the beans were done. And the beans actually turned out fine. A lot of people were thinking, oh, it's going to be terrible, and they're going to all fall over, and the quality is going to be bad and everything else. They were actually just fine. So it worked out okay. This year, I'm not as optimistic because the flooding came earlier, roughly two weeks earlier than what it was in 2010, and the beans weren't quite done. So I'm anxious to see how it turned out, but that river bottom ground had gotten planted late, had been wet already. I was only expecting 35 bushels, maybe 40 anyway. Now I'm expecting 15. (laughs) So we'll see. Uh, My brother Darren thinks zero. Uh, I think 15. But anyway... So you take that 200, 250 acres out of our 3,000, that really hurts the average, especially on our beans. So on corn, for us, we're going to have some that is probably going to be record. I'm hoping we're going to have the best corn field we've ever had. Certainly, we had a lot of challenges this year, but a fair amount of our stuff got in on time thanks to tile. That's the only thing that saved us this year. Um, But overall, I would say our bean yields are going to be down well, especially on a, by the time I figure this flooding in and everything else, probably 15, 20 bushels down from normal. Our corn, um, I'm hoping, is going to be actually a little bit higher than normal right here, but we are very much the exception. South Dakota actually led the country in percent of prevent plant acres, but again, because we've got tile in everywhere, uh, we really didn't have a whole lot of problem with that, but uh, certainly was delayed. All right, so again, we'd love to get a harvest update from you or just hear how crops are looking in your area. So if you want to call in, phone lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. Before we get to the AG-PHD mailbag, I also wanted to tell you real quick, we've got a special event coming up next Thursday. So that's Thursday, October 3rd. Darren and I are going to be hosting a Rural America Live with Randy Dowdy because he just broke the world record for soybean yield at 190.23 bushels per acre. Think about that, 
190 bushels per acre on soybeans. So we're going to spend a whole hour talking to Randy about what he did, how he's been getting higher yields. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's next Thursday night. If you want to tune in to RFD TV at 7 p.m. Central Times, that'd be 8 Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. We're going to be hosting a Rural America Live. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, first question comes from Stan. He says, I've got an artisan well with a pH of 8.1 that I use in a sprayer. What's the best method to adjust pH, and what is optimal pH for spraying herbicides? I'm currently using ammonium sulfate. All right, so Stan, we do use ammonium sulfate to lower the pH a little bit. The big thing is we want you to test your pH, your water pH, after you put in water conditioners. So we use some other products. WaterRite and BioPrep are are real popular now uh, in terms of you can actually, well, let's put it this way. There are a lot of us, like on our farm, (laughs) where we've got rural water and we actually have chlorine that we've got to neutralize. So that's one thing. But then there are also these other nutrients in there. So everything from calcium to magnesium, iron, we've got to neutralize those and you want to get that pH down. So it is a big deal. There are many different products that can do it. Um, there are people that have used citric acid. I mean, there there are lots of things. You can talk to your local retailer and see what they've got to lower that pH cost effectively. But a lot of times what we're talking about for the best water pH for most herbicides, not all the time, but most herbicides, we're usually talking about five and a half or six, something like that. Uh, great question, though. We get that one quite often, actually. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one here is from Robert. He says... I heard a story about a farmer that took his time one year to use a flat breaker to turn the soil on a field that he rented that had grown up in cockleburs. The next two years, he did very little tillage and had few cockleburs. But and uh, anyway, then he retired and leased the ground out. So the new renter decided uh, no deep tillage. The new renter hit it that spring with heavy tillage, though, and was overtaken by cockleburs. And he couldn't understand why. Now, he goes, a cockleburr seed will stay viable for several years uh, until it germinates, and I can definitely see that. Uh, And this deep tillage had actually put harmless seeds, or I should say this spring tillage had put harmless seeds right into uh, condition for germination. So basically, here's what Robert's saying. No till, and he had fewer cockleburrs. Tillage, uh, and he had more cockleburrs. Yes, we absolutely have seen that. Just depends on the weed species, but we used to do a lot of no-till. Now we do a lot of strip-till on those same acres, but you could see it side by side, especially volunteer corn for us. That was the big one where we tilled. We had a lot of volunteer corn, no-till, very little. So there are definitely advantages to reducing your tillage or going no-till, and weed control can certainly be one of them, but a lot of times we're talking different weed species that come up like mare's tail, dandelions, and others, so pay attention to that. All right, stay tuned. We'll get to your phone calls right after this. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas. 
Farrow Hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers for farmers. Case IH. Rethink productivity. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. We're going to be getting some some harvest updates from around the country. If you'd like to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. We'd love to hear from you. You can also send me an email, radio at agphd.com. First up, we've got Carl calling from down in Kansas. He's sitting in a combine right now. Carl, how you doing? Hey, it's going pretty good. You know, we can sit here and talk to Brian on the phone. Maybe come through on the radio, and I'm harvesting corn at the same time. Okay, so how are corn yields looking this year? Are they average? Are they above average? Are they below? What are they in your area? It all depends on what part of the field you're in, Brian. Uh, you know, yep. we suffer just like everybody else. when that. This is dry land corn now. Remember that in central Kansas. Yep. So, uh, you know, these, these yields are anywhere from 60, 65 to maybe 135, 140. And uh, that's all in the same round, you know, just yeah. because of drowned out spots, etc. So what is normal average for dryland corn around you? If you have 125, 130 bushel average, you're somebody. Yeah. And th- this year we had plenty of rain. We had 20 inches of rain in May and June, and then it quit. Yep. So yep. Uh, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah, that's a real challenge. That's the worst possible scenario is getting rain early and then it shuts off. We'd really like to reverse that. We like being dry early and then getting some rain. Uh, then the roots get a little deeper and everything. Okay, so is, is there anything you've seen that stood out to you so far other than you mentioned drown out spots? Is there anything uh, that you maybe did in terms of management that led to higher yields this year? Well, we did some drainage early, you know, last winter. Uh, that that helped uh, dry some of these fields out a little bit quicker. Yep. But uh, I'm a I'm a no teller, and the, the soil health thing and the ability to absorb water uh, that's a big key. You know, the the irrigated ground uh, was doing pretty good, but shoot, we only put on four to five inches of water late, and everything was mature. Yeah. Uh, so you you really didn't have to irrigate a whole lot this year because of all that rainfall. So. What what are you thinking as you go into next year? 
And I mean, are there any changes you're going to make now based on what you've learned this year? You said you had some of these drownout spots. Are you going to do anything more in terms of drainage or what's, what's your outlook for next year? Well, you know, you guys are used to tile. We are not down here, but uh, we've been thinking about doing some more of that. Uh, instead of conventional terraces and waterways, you can do the terrace and then do drain tile in these terraces instead of waterways to yeah. maybe get rid of that water in a more timely manner. And I think we're going to take a good hard look at that this fall, Brian. Yeah, one of the big things we talk about with that tile is it's not really so much the above ground water. It's what's happening below ground because if that water table is high and your roots are sitting in a whole bunch of water, well, that ends up killing off a lot of roots and beneficial soil microbes because you just don't have the oxygen there. So that's really what it's about is trying to get the roots deeper, have more oxygen, better soil life. And you mentioned no-till. I mean, there's so many guys that no-till and they talk about, I want a healthier soil. That's great, but you can't have a healthier soil if it's full of water. No, you can't. And these drowned out spots, you know, are just rock hard solid. And we get those that need to be loosened up and get a cover crop or something planted in this cornfields as soon as we can to get the green going again. And that should help us out, I hope. Yep. Yep, absolutely. You know, the other thing we talk about quite often with any of those compacted spots, hard areas, all that kind of thing, is just looking at the soil test to see how we're doing on calcium. Calcium's a really important thing, too. So, anyway, lots of stuff to look at there. Hey, Carl, uh, I know you're busy, so we'll let you go. But thanks a lot for calling in. Really appreciate it. And uh, hope harvest turns out great for you this year. I will, too. And we'll get started on sunflowers here in about two, three weeks. I'm always excited for that. (laughs) All right. Sounds (laughs) like fun. We'll see you, Carl. Bye, Brian. All right. Let's go next down to the state of Texas. we got Franklin calling in. Hey, Franklin, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you all? Excellent. So I hear you're just about to defoliate a little bit of cotton in the next week or so. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, well, we we should have been defoliating already this week. We got a excessive amount of rain about two months too late. So we're a little too wet to get the rig in the field right now. So what impact is that going to have on the cotton? Is that going to make any difference because you're going to be a week or so later than you would like to do it for your defoliation? Not really because, I, in all honesty, we're early. This year has been really different for us. We... Uh, we we go a lot by the heat units as far as yep. you know what the cotton requires. Yep. And we hit our target for heat units by the first of July. So which you, is a little odd. So you're actually ahead on heat units. Yeah, we're way ahead on heat units. And it it some of the cotton's been kinda of stunted. A lot of guys are nervous because a lot of the cotton looks really small this year. If it holds to what I've seen on my scouting, what I've done myself, then we're actually ahead of, of ahead of a normal year. So tell us about this short cotton. Why do you think it's shorter than normal? That's had everybody stunted. Even the agronomists, they, they're scratching their head because we're not sure. We went with a different variety, and I'm, I'm thinking that may have something to do with it. Sure. Um, we're running a, a little different variety, and I think it's a short, stubbier plant. But a lot of guys are getting nervous, thinking the cotton's not there. And when you actually go out and do a bowl count, it's loaded up just as good or better than it would be on average. So what kind of technology are you using in the cotton in terms of weed control? Uh, Well, we went back a little, I would say, old school. We, I, I took some cues from my dad's generation. Okay. Um. We'll go in, of course, we 
and it may bite us, it may not, but we kind of do things a little different. We don't put down anything pre-emerge. We run a rod weeder pre-emerge because we're all traditional row crop, okay. big listed rows. Yep. We'll go in and run the rod weeder, and then right behind the rod we're planting, and right behind the planter we're putting down reflex. Okay. Now the, the reflex should, in theory, hold off the carol weeds, and most times it does. And then about a month and a half in, once the cotton gets about six, eight inches tall, we'll go in and run a cultivator with, um, I don't know what the technical term, I always call them banana knives. They're the, the knives that kind of go long and, and sweep down and follow yep. the row. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, we'll run those banana knives and get real close to the cotton, and then as soon as we do that, we go in and spray staple for the morning glory, and other than a couple of sprayings of Roundup, that usually holds us off. Sure. There are a lot of people that are looking at, uh, like, extend cotton or enlist or something like that. So is there much of that in your area? There is. There is. Uh, we did, we ran some two, yeah, two years ago, and we were not really impressed with it. The seed quality was, was horrible on it. Um, we'd get done at the end of the day and start cleaning the cotton stripper off, and instead of having... You know, the good-sized cotton seed, like a, a typical seed, we had what yep. looked like little, basically the size of mouse turds, hmm. and that was the cotton seed coming out of it. So it was it was horrible for that. But there's a lot of guys running it, and we have run into some issues of drift. Um, well, one from a cotton field and one from somebody spraying a pasture. But sure. we're starting to run into a lot more of that. And we're we're to the point now where we're going to have to start putting up signs on every farm saying, "Hey, we're fiber max only, or we're fiber max and Liberty Link, or you know, we're, it's it's to the point we're going to have to let everybody know what we are because not everybody's not everybody's just round up only like we always have been in the past. Yeah, yep, for sure. So, are you getting two four D drift or are you getting dicamba drift? I actually had both. Yeah. Um, the dicamba drift wasn't bad. It was just a light drift kind of came across, yep. and you could tell exactly where it came from. And that na- the neighbor that did it, he's, he apologized. He said, I thought you guys were. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. <laughs> yep. The the 2,4-D, we've got a pasture. It's It was CRP for a lot of years. It got pulled out, and sure. the guy that's got it now went in there and had it sprayed with, uh, oh, Cimarron Max. Sure. And he had it sprayed about two months before or about a month before we planted and thinking well that surely will have everything mellowed out by the time the cotton comes up and it didn't yeah and we've got about a quarter that field is split up with half of it is in east west rows half of it's in north south yeah that's the east west rows go ahead the the east west rows didn't get hit the north south rows we lost about half of those rows oh my goodness yeah that's one of the things you know when when we're talking about spraying some of these herbicides they can last a long time in the soil so we got to be careful not just about what crops are up but about what crops are going to be coming up or going to be seeded in the future too well hey uh franklin right. thank Re- reflex does that with us we've we've yeah. got to be real careful about what we plant in the next year because reflex has a long holdover yep absolutely hey franklin we get to run but thanks a lot for calling in really appreciate it best of luck to you here this fall stay tuned you're listening to ag phd radio What if surviving a drought began with a microbe? What if instead of 10 buyers, you could access 10,000? What if you were paid for the carbon your crops pulled from the air? And what if these what-ifs weren't what-ifs at all? At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system, to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yep, the whole lot. 
Visit indigoag.com slash questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're getting some harvest updates from around the country. If you'd like to send us one, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Or you can call into the show as well, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. That's what Ray did. He's calling from down in Iowa. Hey, Ray, how are you? Good, and you? Excellent. So I hear there's some harvest going on in your farm today, right? Yeah, we started on Monday, and uh, well, we had a little shower last night, so we got back going again after lunch today. But um, uh, we started out with the corn about... 25, 26%, yep. and that's, it's 24, 25 today, and also that's about where we usually like to get started with harvest, and it's 105-day uh, corn, which is, you know, our early maturing varieties for us here. Sure, and you're in kind of southwest Iowa? Yeah, southwest Iowa. We're 65 miles from Nebraska and 30 miles from Missouri. Okay, so how are the yields so far? 
Uh, so far, we're we're pretty happy with them. You know, we were a little concerned because you know we had those yellow spots in the soil that had a lot of clay. You know, it just was so wet. Uh, but the good soils are really yielding well and and uh, offsetting some of the poor uh, yields on the on the clay spots. So uh, we're pretty happy. We're gonna looks like we'll be at at our ten year average maybe oh, for yields. You know, for this year, uh, we're pretty happy with that. We got, you know, we were, oh, I'd say we were fortunate because we didn't have a lot of rain in April, so we got all our corn planted by oh, the 26th of April, which is kind of our normal time. Yeah, that's awesome. So in your area, there must not have been a lot of prevent plant or anything then, huh? Uh, there's a little bit because, you know, it started raining April 28th, and we were rained out to plant beans until the 4th and 5th of May. We planted two days, where it was a little too wet, by the way. But anyway, and then we were rained out again for 10 days uh, in mid-May and finished our beans. But after that, uh, you couldn't get in the field for 23 days till about June the 6th or 7th, you know. So, so uh, it, it really started setting in raining a little bit later here than some places so we were lucky <laughs> yeah where we farm where we farm we were able to get in for i think two days in april maybe one one and a half something like that and then it was the middle of may and we had about i don't know just a few days to do something it, it was it was a pretty rough year so anything so far have you done enough acres to see um if you're finding any big differences in terms of any different fertility things you did or weed control or fungicide i mean any trials you ran on your farm um I mean, we haven't done the fungicide yet, but it looks, we, we did some strip trials that we can see from our leg right out by our shop. Yep. And uh, they are definitely a lot greener than the non, non-fungicide strips. Yeah, a couple days ago, I had just said on the radio here, if you looked at our average July and August humidity where we farm, it was over 80%. Over 80%. Yeah. And I looked up Miami, Florida, that was 75%. <laughs> well, yeah. when, we, when we're wetter than Miami, I'm pretty sure we're going to have some disease issues. So, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to get out into our fields and check our fungicide strip trials, too. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. So, well, any, we didn't, oh, uh, you know, we didn't see very many problems uh, up, and, up and through, you know, uh, the maturity line being halfway down the kernel. So yep. it came in a little late for us. But it still yeah. looks like it may have affected some yield there. So how about how about soybeans on your farm? Uh, when are you going to get to soybeans? Uh, we our our two nines, which is our early varieties. They're about a week out yet. They've just got a leaf sure. on them here and there yet. You know, uh, uh, heard up some one point nines. That's really early for here. Harvested last week. That did pretty well. And I heard some two, just over two maturities, and uh, they didn't yield so well. Uh, there's some sudden death around here. So, yeah. you know, if you have a, didn't treat for it or had susceptible varieties, it's probably going to hurt the yield. Yeah, we've seen a lot of sudden death come in real late this year, much later than normal. I mean, that's good. The later it comes, then the better off we right. are. But still, uh, any sudden death is too much. Well, hey, Ray, uh, I know you're busy, so thanks a lot for calling in. Really appreciate your time, and best of luck to you with Harvest. Yep, thank you. You bet. All right, let's go down now to the state of Missouri. we got Gabe calling in. Hey, Gabe, how are things going for you today? Well, doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Got any harvest happening on your farm yet? Yeah, we probably all were 90% cut on our 
corn, a uh, little bit, cut a little bit of rice, almost half a rice, but no soybeans yet. So how's the corn been turning out? Um, my earliest planted uh, on my best ground, you know, I was a little disappointed in it. Uh, it had a lot of wet feet, obviously. Sure. Uh, had some seedling diseases that I didn't find out until, you know, I'd already picked it. Yep. But uh, my dry land was definitely better than average. But the top the top end yield was not there. I, I mean, a little disappointed, but, you know, it's still a good corn crop. But the top end was not there, and I, you know, probably blame that on most of the water. Yeah, yep. So was there much prevent plant in your area, or did everything get planted? Oh, no, a lot of prevent plant. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually in in the boot hill in Stoddard County, but I think awesome. uh, New Madrid or Timiscott uh, had around 40,000 acres each. Yeah. A lot, and that's, and that's prime river bottom ground. Right. Yeah, that was a rough area. How about your rice? Tell us a little about the rice crop. We grow hybrid. It's the first year that we've grown hybrid, and the uh, first field that I've cut was row rice. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it, you just grow it just like corn. You know, when I say just like corn, you drill it, but yep. you water it, you know, for a year Sure. So, uh, it was, it was, it was down a little bit too. I blame that on, on the, all the rain when it was pollinated. Yeah. And, uh, the second field was levy rice and it was very good. I mean, very good. I couldn't complain about it at all. I, the row rice is a new uh, practice, and it there's still things to be worked out on it, you know. Yeah, it's like about anything else that's new out there. But give it some time, and hopefully that's going to turn out pretty good. So in terms of your rice, is there anything else that, that kind of stood out to you this year, whether it was weed control or diseases or anything else that showed up? Not in the rice. Uh, we're rice tech you know, hybrid rice, and I have a scout. I You don't have to spray fungicide on that stuff. At least we didn't. And uh, we had good weed control, had a little bit of grass, you know, hard to kill grass in a rice crop. Yeah. But didn't have much, not hardly anything in the levy rice. The, the rice is a solid crop. It won't burn up. You know, because it's in a it's in irrigated ground. Yep, it won't flood out. Uh, it's just very it's hardy. You know, it's just it's pretty solid every year. So overall, though, you think you you were talking about first field disappointed in second field pretty good. Uh, overall, it looks like the rice crops can be average to above average. Would you say? I would I would say yes. Uh, you know, we're in we're Southeast Missouri. Is oh, it's definitely got. A little bit of everything and quite and quite a bit of rice and from what i've been hearing you know it's it's all over the board i the water hurt it and it's probably just going to be about an average maybe a little above average crop but so, uh uh you mentioned you hadn't gotten to soybeans yet when will you get to soybeans probably within the next week to 10 days sure yep how's the crop look there it looks good uh but <laughs> Again, the water has hurt us. It's hurt most people in our area. But there's not a whole lot of early beans unless you're just on high ground and, you yeah. know, the good dirt. Those people got it planted early. But 
most everything we have is essentially wheat beans. Yeah. Well, so far, uh, Gabe, we've talked to farmers from four different states here in the last couple of segments we've done, and every single person mm-hmm. has said rice has had, or I should say rain, has had a major impact on yield this year. <laughs> and I can say the same thing on our farm. It's the same thing for everybody. It seems like all around the country is a rough year. Hey, Gabe, uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Really appreciate it, and good luck with the rest of your harvest season. Thanks. Good luck to you. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to need a little bit of luck this fall, but uh, hopefully we get that that crop out and get get going on getting ready for next year with fertility, tillage, all those kind of things. We'll take more of your phone calls coming up right after this on Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from FarmShop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit FarmShopMFG.com. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that will help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. (laughs) That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF Plant Health. Always read and follow label directions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. (laughs) 
We are getting an update today from around the country, and I shouldn't even say around the country, around the continent. If you'd like to call in from Canada as well, that'd be awesome. Uh, So far, all our callers have been from the United States uh, today. But anyway, we are getting a harvest update, and even if you haven't begun harvest, we'd love to hear what the crop looks like and just what your overall opinion is so far. Uh, The common theme today has been excess moisture, and I think that's going to continue when we talk to Mark from out in New York State. Hey, Mark, how are things going for you today? Hi, good. Yep, yourself. Great. Uh, Have you started any harvest yet? Uh, No, typically harvest is uh, start first, second week in October in uh, the western part of upstate New York. Sure, yep. But uh, the the crops uh, that finally did get planted late in the spring uh, do look good, but uh, the theme was it was a very wet, cold spring, Yep. and planting was extremely late. What's it look like for frost now? I I mean, are you expected to get any frost anytime soon? Because that was one of the big concerns a lot of people had is with all this late planted stuff, when was the frost going to hit? Um, the, the 10-day looks great. We've had uh, an extended summer, Yep. Uh, you might say. Uh, the weather's been great, um, yeah. above average, and the 10-day still looks uh, very favorable. Good. Uh, typically, uh, first frost in our area is right around uh, October 10th. Sure. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it's kind of the same deal for us here. A lot of people were worried about the crop in South Dakota that it wasn't going to make it, but now it looks like we're going to end up with at least an average date for frost and probably even a late date for frost. And we, we've been praying for that because without that, we were in big trouble. So uh, w- what else is happening right now in your area? If harvest hasn't started uh, yet, anything, any ac- big activities out there in fields? Well, be- because there was so much uh, open ground all summer, um, yeah. I think wheat planting got off to a, a little bit of an early start. Yep. And uh, it's been rolling right along, and that looks very good. Uh, this entire September has been good, you know, for new seedings of hay fields and alfalfa and uh, the wheat. So. so all this ground that didn't get planted, has that now gotten worked? Is a lot of it going to wheat, or are guys just sitting there with cover crops or maybe even just some weeds yet in fields? Um, all the above. Yeah. <laughs> um, mo- most of them have, have worked, a, um, I think, at least once through or did a burn down. Uh, I see in a lot of places. And uh, and then uh, cover crops are becoming more and more popular, and uh, especially with a, a radish mix, it seems. Yep. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of that out there as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting year all over the place. Uh, any other comments you got for us today? Anything else happening, Mark? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it, and hope harvest turns out great for you. Good. Thank you. You as well. You bet. Thanks a lot. All right. Uh, I got an email from Heather in Illinois. And she said, good afternoon. We are located in north-central Illinois. Combines are just about ready to roll uh, in certain areas. We have corn that's not even to black layer that was planted in April, and it's a 97-day. 
<laughs> uh, Heather, I understand what you're going through. I've run the numbers for our corn too, and I go, what? We're that far behind? Yes, we are. Uh, this is, I, I know earlier in the show, we were talking to Franklin down in Texas who said they were way ahead on heat units. That is not true for most of the Midwestern United States, most of Southern Canada. We're way behind on heat units, and we're seeing that out in fields where a lot of the, this corn that normally would be black layering about now, it's still two weeks away. So hopefully we get enough time with the frost, and then hopefully we get some warm weather after that to dry the corn down a little more, or it's going to be a, a, a rough fall and a very late fall. But, you know, the big thing is we're still going to get out there with at least a few acres. Gives you a chance to get some fertility and tillage and tiling done, at least on, on some acres. Uh, Heather also sent a picture of some soybeans. And it looks to me, well, there are uh, a lot of leaves on there, some green leaves, but uh, leaves dropping off those soybean plants. Looks to me like a couple weeks to go on that particular field on soybeans. On our own farm, probably going to end up being, I'm hoping, Monday, Tuesday before we can get started on some uh, on some soybeans. I'm really anxious to see how this all turns out. And it's just like almost everybody that called in today got some great areas, got some terrible areas. It's just going to be, uh, well, we'll see how that yield average ends up turning out because that's what we're really after. I do think, too, you know, when you look at like the government reports in the United States in terms of planted corn acreage, I, I, I mean, I know they're too high. But the other side of it is normally there's a certain percent that doesn't get harvested or let's say goes for silage, whatever. Uh, that percent is obviously going to be a lot higher this year. So anyway, what I think the market is interested in most is how much production are we get actually going to get out of all these acres out there? It'll be interesting to see. All right, um, let's see. Let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Had an email come in just a little bit ago on soybean row spacing and population from uh, from ANR, uh, and it says here I planted on 30 inch rows with a strip till planter combo on roughly 25 percent of my acres, where compaction was a concern behind a wet cotton harvest. Then I planted 75% with a no-till drill set up on 15-inch rows, and I'll say this, I won't plant on 38-inch rows anymore. Uh, It took forever to shade the row out, and then we had a lot more deer issues, but the 15-inch rows look amazing. You know, uh, on our own farm here, we've done a lot of drilled stuff over the years. We just have a lot more disease issues, and it depends so much on where you're at. Obviously, if we're talking cotton, that means we're, we're much further south. And diseases aren't that big or aren't as big of a challenge in soybeans, I would say. Uh, But you get white mold, sclerotinia white mold, and the wider rows do seem to help just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it, it you want to get good crop canopy and then you have better weed control and just a lot of things turn out good. So there's always that balancing act. Do you, do you go wider, let more air through and sunlight through, or do you go more narrow? Uh, but it sounds like in this case, they're going to go a lot more drilled. All right. Um, Let's see. Okay, so we just had another caller call in. It's Kevin from over in Illinois. Wanted to give a little update for us. Hey, Kevin, how are you? All right, Brian. How are you doing today? Excellent. So I hear you've been harvesting for a few days. What's it looking like out there? Uh, You know, we're in the same situation here that uh, all the rest of your callers have called in. Uh, You can start down through the field here and uh, on the same pass and go anywhere from zero to 350 bushel acre. You know, that's what, what kind of circumstances it is. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, does it look like on average you're going to be down from normal? 
I think it will be from last year, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, tr- traditionally up to last year, I've been improving the average on these on mine uh, every year, you know, but I think I think this year is the Achilles heel on it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I hear you. I, it's it's just so challenging, and it's hard to know because just like you said, zero all the way to three fifty. What's the average going to end up being? You know, it all depends on what field you're in and and plant date. There are a lot of things going on with it. So, anything else that you you've seen in the corn so far? Any issues with diseases, weeds? Any other big challenges out there? No, not really. But uh, I'm a firm believer. I'm I'm in this Mississippi River. Uh, bottoms here and it's in the summertime in july or i'm sorry august you know we have day after day where we have fog here till noon yep you got to use fungicide you got to do it i i do two passes i do at least one pass on beans it makes a a world of difference and uh you know the quality of the corn is great i mean when you i mean it's nice big deep kernels and and uh, the test weight's good and everything but uh you know, wherever water stood, in this case here, you know, I've even got some tiled ground that uh, water stood because the water backed in on it, you know, and there yeah. was nowhere it could go. Yep. But, uh, uh, you know, but one thing I am seeing is uh, a difference, a couple things. Uh, some varieties are a lot better at wet feet than others. Yep. And uh, this is uh, one circumstance or instance here on me where uh, the last, uh, last corn I planted, which was the 14th day of May, has been the best corn I've been in. Oh. Everything earlier than that has not been as good, you know. It's just, but that's not that's not, that's not normal, <laughs> right? That's unusual. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Kevin, thanks for the update. Really appreciate it, and good luck with the rest of harvest. Well, one other thing, I want to bring. Oh, hey, hang, yeah, hang, on, hang, hang on for me just a second here, Kevin. We got to take a quick break for a commercial, but we'll be right back. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Using NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. If your fertilizers aren't formulated to maximize your efficiency, if you can't mix all the PK and micros your crop needs into one prescription application, if you have to add products to improve and invigorate your soil biology, then you need to expect more from your fertilizer. With AgroLiquid's advanced technology, you can expect more, a lot more. Make the most of your crop nutrition. With AgroLiquid, to find a crop nutrition expert near you, visit agroliquid.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. 
Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. If you want to call in, we've got a little bit of time left today, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. Right before the break, we were talking to Kevin from Illinois. Sorry about that, Kevin. Um, you you said you had a little bit more for us? Yeah, the only <clears throat> one other thing I was going to talk about a little bit, the soybeans in this area really look kind of pretty good this year. Oh. You know, uh, the weather straightened out for when we when they started getting them in. Yep. And uh, so they're kind of looking pretty decent. And the last thing I wanted to say was, was thank you for hosting uh, your field days up there this year. There was four of us went up there. We really enjoyed it. Well, two days would be nice on that. <laughs> uh, awesome. You know, as you mentioned the two-day thing, I get a lot of questions about that, and people say, man, it's a lot of work to set all that up, everything else, and then it's only one day. But, you know, what I always tell people is, have you ever been to, like, day three or even day two of a major farm show? It's just not the same energy on day two or day three. And the other thing is, for the fantastic farmers we get to come in from all over the world, these yeah. super high-yield guys, I, we're lucky just to get them for one day. It's it's really tough, and we appreciate all those people taking time away from their farms and their families and everything else to kind of share with all the rest of us uh, the, the management things they're doing in their operations to be more successful, and hopefully that helps others out there. So anyway, no, we really appreciate the kind words, and uh, yeah, the Egg PhD Field Day, we're going to do her again next year. It's always the last Thursday in July. So thanks a lot for calling in, Kevin. Look- appreciate it. Looking forward to it. You and your family and everybody out there listens. Great harvest to you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. You too. All right, uh, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag again here. Oh, and again, if you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, so this one comes from Jenny, who asks, What causes red root rot in corn? How can we diagnose it? And is there anything that can be done to control or eliminate it? All right, so Jenny, I'm no real big expert in red root rot in corn. I don't know that we've ever seen it on our farm. But yeah, I've heard a little bit about it out there. Uh, A lot of times these roots are going to turn kind of a pinkish red and that's really what you're looking for you'd, you'd kind of have to dig up some roots and and then see the the whole thing is when we talk about root rot in corn just in general okay whether it's red root rot or there are a number of different root rots there are a few things that we want you to consider here so the the i would say number one thing is drainage 
So in a lot of cases, we're going to see diseases like this when it's wetter. And we would really encourage you take a look at what are you doing for your overall drainage program. We talk so much about tile here on the show. And again, a lot of it's just oxygen management in that soil. The more oxygen you have in that soil, and keep in mind, when the water table's high, there's no oxygen there in that water table. And so then your roots die, your beneficial microbes die, and now you start having problems. When you put that plant under stress, that's when uh, when a lot of these diseases really get going. Uh, next thing is just a good overall fertility program. So it's, I, I say this all the time, but it's just like human beings. Okay. If we eat right, we exercise, we get plenty of sleep at night, we are so much more tolerant to diseases. And it's the same thing in your crops. Now, <laughs> they're not going to sleep at night, but they, you, you do want them to eat right, basically. And that really comes back to what are we what are we feeding the plants and what are we feeding the soils? We got to look not just at NP and K, but we want you to really look hard at soil pH management, look at the secondary nutrients like sulfur, magnesium, calcium, and then also the micronutrients. All those things are super super important out there in your soils. And then I, I look at the seed treatments too. So just for example, on the seed corn that we plant on our farm, we have 33 seed treatments on it. How many seed treatments do you have on your corn? Most people have three, maybe five. Okay, so what I'm saying here is there are, there's more that can be done from the seed treatment perspective, and that absolutely helps reduce root rots in general. And then finally, it's hybrid selection. Now, there aren't a lot of ratings out there for red root rot, but I would say there is a little bit of difference with varieties and their natural tolerances. All right, uh, next one comes from Ryan. He says... I've got a nutrient removal question regarding moisture. I find your nutrient removal app to be very handy and appreciate you putting it together. And he's referring to the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app that is a free download. Uh, anyway, this he says, this year I find myself in a new situation as I'm selling cover crops grown on prevent plant ground. I had oats and kale that was baled and, uh, and tubed while still fairly wet. I'm trying to find nutrient value for what to charge the buyer of that product, uh, and that's what I'm stuck on. So what moisture is assumed on the app, and if two ton per acre was removed at 35% moisture, how much do I figure to remove water weight? Okay, so in terms of removing water weight, that's real simple. So if you had two tons and it was 35% moisture, then you just subtract off 35% from your two tons, and then uh, you, you've got your dry matter. So that, that part's easy. The part that's a little more challenging is this. What we talk about with our fertilizer removal app is that's how much it takes in total to produce that crop. So the question is, how many nutrients are actually in whatever you're going to bale up? Just because it took that many nutrients to produce that crop doesn't necessarily mean that those nutrients are all in there. A bunch can stay with the stover, but if you're going to sell the stover, you know, then I get it. You might just say, well, it should be all grain removal and stover removal. Not really, because you're leaving a whole bunch of the stover out there, and you might not have even thought about this in the roots. And then the other thing is, if let's say that crop is nearing maturity and it starts to senesce, uh, it's very possible for lots of rain to start flushing some of the nutrients out of that um, out, of, out of that plant. So what we would really suggest, if you're after how many nutrients you're removing, you, you should just take some samples and send them in for analysis. So that's what I would suggest. All right, uh, let's see. 
next one comes from Weber, who says, I've been watching Ag PhD for a couple of years. I'm not a farmer, though I have a fam- who I have family who are farmers, uh, and I've learned a lot from, uh, from you, so thank you. Uh, every so often you'll mention something that I wish I knew more about, so I just wanted to pass on a couple suggestions for topics in the Farm Basics segment. First of all, he says, I, I know corn, wheat, and soybeans are the bulk of what's grown in the U.S., but I would like to know something about other crops such as potatoes, sunflowers, and perhaps some non-food crops such as cotton. Uh, so, first of all, Weber, we do talk, uh, we probably uh, just a few times a year on sunflowers specifically. And we talk about weed control and insects, diseases, that kind of thing. We rarely talk specifically about potatoes, cotton. There's so many crops out there. But I would say this. We do talk about fertility, and fertility applies to every crop out there. Soil is soil, and we're always trying to improve the soil in part because we want more beneficial microbes helping these different crops. But yes, we'll, we'll try to talk more about some of the other crops. Uh, next thing he says is, I think non-farmers would be interested in the costs to farmers of things such as equipment. Uh, you know, Weber, we do, that, do a segment on that almost every year during our Farm Basics time, just what does it cost to farm? Now, it, it varies a lot. Even like you mentioned here, potatoes, uh, sunflowers, cotton. Okay, those are three dramatically different crops. Like cotton, I got to have whole different equipment than what I need for potatoes or what I need for sunflowers, for example. So it all depends on the crop we're talking about. But yes, we do talk about cost of equipment, cost for fertility, cost for seed, for crop protection. There are just so many things. And, you know, a lot of times we as farmers don't even think about this, but we have really pretty big businesses for our little towns. And it really impacts our local communities when we can do well or if we do poorly. So, um, you know, this is why we're here at Ag PhD is to hopefully help all farmers do better, which then in turn uh, trickles out to everybody. All right, next one comes from Riley, who says, I've been using your GDU, or Growing Degree Units, app for a couple of years, and I wonder if you guys had uh, had uh, people who could make some changes to the app. Being able to delete old fields or split them up by year would be nice. Also, being able to add in the, add in the variety with known GDUs to black layer number would also be helpful. So, Riley, we will absolutely take a look at that. Appreciate the comments there. Uh, let's see. And last thing, this one comes from Tim. He said, municipal biosolids application might be a good topic for your show. Uh, if interested, I can give you more information on it. We apply, uh, biosolids free of cost to local farmers. And it's a good soil amendment that would otherwise go to a landfill. Tim, I could not agree more. It was funny. I was talking to a mayor of a small town in South Dakota and their, their sewage, it was about to overflow. And so they were just going to dump it in the river. (laughs) go what 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 are you guys doing that it would be tremendously beneficial to farm fields so we just have to work uh farmers and and cities all these municipalities work better in conjunction because there are a lot of things we can do together to help each other and biosolids i agree 100 percent all right before we go i just want to say thanks to our production staff alex is running the controls for me today appreciate that thanks to everybody who called in or wrote in with questions and thanks to you for listening and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio